Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. Welcome to the Future Church Podcast. I'm speaking to a great friend of mine, Steve Small. Um, when I first came to Ivy over 15 years ago now, Steve was one of the first people that we met. And actually, uh, he came and helped to put up wardrobes in our new house that we lived in and they're still standing Steve so I'm the world's worst DIYer and Steve is the most incredible servant-hearted guy I ever met and ever knew and um, yeah so he's just brilliant to have on the staff here at Ivy Church Um, and also he heads up together with his wife Sarah who was previously an elder here at Ivy uh, together they lead the Eden Network um, church planting uh, and incarnational church connecting ministry which is um, uh, started out here in Manchester but now is in various places. So welcome to the Future Church podcast Steve. Thanks Anthony. Hey so good to be with you and spend this time because I don't think you know a lot of people kind of know enough about Eden and, and what's happening with there it should be really shouted from the rooftops uh, in so many ways. Um, but before we get into that, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you, uh, what's your story, um, you know, and how did it become a God story? Oh, sure. Thanks. So um, I was born <laughs> to Christian parents. Um, so I was, I was always around church and faith. My mum really encouraged me. Um, so my, my dad's background kind of working class Scots uh, on his dad's side. Uh, my dad's granddad died very young and then his dad died in his 40s, 50s. Um, so I didn't really know that side of the family. But, um, and then my mum's side uh, were kind of vicars and bishops and missionaries. Um, so I was kind of r- around some of that stuff and heard some of those stories. But when I was... Fall, my grandparents and my uncle were killed in a car crash. But a, a lorry, a drunk driver drove over top of them. Um, so I, I just rem- it was one of my first memories that kind of stuff happening. Um, I vaguely remember my grandparents and my uncle, but I was asking questions: What happens when you die? Um, and uh, I realised I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to be with Jesus. I want to see my grandparents again. So I prayed. With my mum, I asked Jesus into my life, uh, and that mm. felt real ever since. Really, it's just um, been natural and part mm. of who I am. Um, yeah. And now you've got children of your own. We do. Yeah, three boys. Yeah, and they're all mad into football, etc. Um, definitely the L. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're a handful. <laughs> Loud, noisy, and uh, lots of fun. Fantastic. So you were part of Ivy before I came here, um, and I know you'd kind of been involved in, in various ministries, etc. But um, what was your kind of job life previous to that, or in, you know, including uh, how did you end up coming to be from being somebody who just was part of Ivy Church and serving to actually coming on staff, and what was the sort of journey that led to that? Sure. Okay. So I was. Um came to Ivy when I moved up to Manchester to be a student in 2000 um, and at the time I was helping lead the CU and then at the end of studying uh, I did a, a year out with Ivy mm. 
um, and I ended up helping working in the office as well during the week. Um, so I did that for a year, and at the end of it, we went on a mission trip uh, out to Zambia, which is where I got to know Sarah. Um, and uh, I think from there, as, as studying finished and uh, started to look for work, um, I just got more and more involved with church and leading mm-hmm. um, what we call grow groups now. Uh, it, but yeah, it, I was just always around and getting involved in whatever was going on and Alpha and all kinds of little things. Yeah, I mean, just for people listening, I kind of want to highlight, and again, Steve probably will hate me for this, but the you know we talk about leadership, we think about influence, we think about ways that people do leadership, and very often we can think of it in terms of the upfront um, speaker kind of thing. And you know, actually, Steve does help to lead services and you know bring some teaching here as well. But I think his influence really for those of us who are closest to Steve would be um, we. We kind of have a bit of a mantra around here of like try and be more Steve because he really is a, an incredible servant-hearted guy who just picks things up that nobody else wants to pick up and is the first to say, "How can I help?" and "What do you need?" and um, you know that's the, those are the kind of things that just seem to come natural to him. Actually, I'm going to push you on it, Steve. Is, do you think is that just like a natural thing for you? Um, is that something that? You know, is it kind of a learned thing? Uh, how you know Jesus talks about things that we don't usually talk about in terms of what it is to be a servant, and and but he also talked, you know, servant leadership. He also talked about um, you know sort of being gentle and those kind of things, and it isn't something that necessarily we talk about that much in um, in in church. But again, I'm, whether or not you'd admit to it, you know, this is that what I see in you and other people. I think seeing you. Um, what what's it, it, it you know help me <laughs> help me steve to you know to learn what it is effectively what is it is it you know, like deliberate choices that you make do you actually you know this is a process where you kind of think right i'm gonna you know do you wake up in the morning thinking who can i serve today or something like that <laughs> no uh and it, i guess it's some of it must be natural because i don't see it in myself i mean there's still stuff i don't want to do and uh complain about but uh, I guess some of it's learnt. Uh, I think my mum, that was, that was a big influence on my life and she was definitely served lots of people uh, in amazing ways. Um, and yeah, I think, I think also, I, I feel like serving people is part of worship as well. Uh, I'm not a great singer. Um, the upfront stuff I can do, but it's, that doesn't come naturally. Whereas just being with people and um, getting stuck in, I, f- I feel that is part of my worship, I guess. Great. So, and you you were a teacher for a while, uh, well, school, I know, down the road from here, you were on the, well, how, what was the teaching career, um, what, what part of that? Yeah, so um, I always felt like I should be a teacher from being fairly small. I think there's, there's teachers in my family who... I admired, um, but again, being an introvert and quite antisocial, it was a bit of a scary step. Um, so there's someone at Ivy who let me go, follow them around school for a bit. So I learned uh, a bit from them what the teaching looked like, uh, and then I applied to do on-the-job training. Um, and before that, to get onto that, I had to do well. I had I needed experience, so I signed up as a 
mm. supply teacher without any training <laughs> or understanding. Uh, and that was a bit of a baptism by fire. Uh, and then I did a year at a school in Oldham where I learned on a job and then got a job um, just down the road here in Didsbury for three years teaching high school students. I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm going to compare that and, you know, in some ways sort of connect it with what we do with regard to ministerial training, as you could call it, or how you just train to be uh, a follower of Jesus. And, you know, he himself said, the, you know, obviously the word rabbi is teacher. And that he said uh, the student is enough that the student will become like the master. And so, you know, it's not just in the sort of the Greek school of teaching with um you know that there was the idea that you you follow a teacher by imitation but obviously in the hebrew way it was you become like the rabbi by doing it and i think you know in certain in many professions like when i was in the police you you spent the first two years on a probation thing and for the first part of that you, you had some kind of law being taught originally so you weren't completely clueless um and then you went out shadowing somebody on the streets and then you got another tutor and did that shadowing them on the streets and then after that they kind of uh, you know he really kept me on a short lead I suppose whereas and similarly my wife works for the NHS and and you know they had the, the tutoring the mentoring model first but nowadays it seems to be that you know you have to go and get a degree in something first and then from there, often you, you kind of people come back, come into it, believing that they know everything about what there is to know about it, and they've no, never actually done a day of it in their life <laughs> with real people. Um, you know, again, let's think about that in terms of the the mentoring and the modelling that you do here at, at Ivy and our discipleship pathway courses, and no, you know, knowing, growing, going, etc. So we. So could you tell the people who are listening about these resources that we can make available to people who get in touch with us um, to help the church, but it, it really it's proven on the ground here because and this is something that you've been really actively involved in in taking from the sort of conceptual to the reality of what we do here at Ivy as part of your role uh, as, as the kind of person who leads us up on, on how we deploy people into their mission field. Um, what does it look like then from a, a, the knowing, growing, going uh, course and then the, uh, the the next one, which is um, the, the, the discipleship pathway? It's not just for us, uh, you know, as you will know, um, a course. It's how we structure ministry. But but what, what do those things involve? And, and that, you know, so it's not just um, somebody going and sitting and reading a book, but they're actually in some way implementing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Well, so, I mean, what, one of the first steps we encourage people to look at, at Ivy is Knowing, Growing, Going, which you wrote, um, so I think it was a couple of summers ago now, uh, off the back of Festival Manchester as we were preparing for people coming to faith or asking questions. Um, and I think we've been using Alpha and similar things over the years, which are amazing and, and work really well in some ways. Um, but we wanted something that everyone could use Um to just to open up the Bible and to see God starting to move move people along um, from discovering Jesus for themselves, um, and that's, that's I mean it's still growing uh, and being used. Um, I had quite a few people asking for the resource this week. Um, I found it personally really help, handy. Just it's just to feel like you've got a, a simple tool where someone asks a question or clearly open to 
to Jesus and faith. And you can say, watch this video or, or read this little chapter. I've started doing it with the kids in the morning as well, so they've been asking about it. Mm. Um, and and then we can go through some questions. It's just an hour, nice and simple. Mm. Um, I think quite often we've, in the past, if I've seen it time and time again, someone's really interested in Jesus or prayer, and then you say, oh, do you want to come to church on Sunday or come to this group? And they're like, suddenly the shutters go down. Mm. But if they've got something in their hand or they've watched a video, then they know what you're inviting them to. Uh, and they can either say, no thanks, or actually, yeah, I want to talk about the, qu the questions that are in mm. this because that's what I'm looking for. Um, so that's knowing, growing, going. Very simple, powerful, easy. Yeah, tool. so that's a little booklet I've written. It ties in with John's Gospel. It's also, you click on it if you don't, if you're not really a reader or if you want to read and watch three little uh, YouTube talks. And then effectively, somebody then, together with anybody, does a discipleship Bible study on a passage that I've mentioned on it from John's Gospel. And by the end of the three sessions, three hours, they they know that they can know God through Jesus and how to do that. They know how to grow. As a Christian, it's not just growing in head knowledge, but it's growing in love and service to others and um, finally, they, they know uh, how to how to um, go and make uh, a difference for Jesus, and that involves includes telling their own story, B C J C A D, and uh, having a testimony and, and in the power of the Spirit, being able to share it. Superb. So Steve's really taken that, and I know that he's actually been a practitioner and used it with people on like on the estate where he lives, etc., as well with people there. Um, what about discipleship pathway? Sure. Um... I think it kind of follows nicely. I think knowing, growing, going gives people using it, it empowers them as well. I think quite often in the past, people think, I've got a friend that I want to introduce to Jesus, but I don't know how to do it. So I'm just going to bring him to church or this event and someone else can do it for me. So the, I, the idea of discipleship pathway training is to uh, give people confidence and to know what to do at, at each step and in different situations. And to develop a an, just a natural rhythm of discipleship, and discipling themselves and discipling others, and helping them do the same. Um, yeah. So it goes through our D's, the D's of what we you know, just talk about. What those are. And yeah. The last one's you, Steve. So uh, <laughs> you got to get them all. Build up. Uh, I feel like it's it's a bit like that passage. I think it's in Ezekiel where the river s slowly gets deeper, isn't it? So we start with uh, discover. Uh, and that's that's simply just encouraging people to ask God to put five five people on their hearts who have, don't know Jesus yet and pray for them each day simply. Mm. Uh, and off the back of that, as we gather each week during that training, uh, God starts to answer questions, and these people pop up and and faith builds, and everyone gets excited. Uh, but then, what do you do when when that starts happening? So it's um, recognizing people in peace. It's how to share your uh, testimony uh, easily and naturally, how to share the gospel in the same way, and then how to start to gather people around the Bible and mm. allow the Bible to speak into people's lives and and to actually do what it says. Brilliant. Yeah. So, because all of this is, um, we're not just trying to put on courses so that we know more, as I said, but it's to be able to really grow as, as disciples. And you know, I often say, that when I first became a Christian and was a police officer, I thought I'm going to have to leave the police because it 
I just couldn't see how I could make the two things compatible. And obviously God dealt with me on that. And so I stayed in for a good number of years afterwards. But one of the things was that I just was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to share my faith with anybody. And they're all going to kind of kill me at work. And it just so happened that there was a, a course, and at the time a really old one, about how to share your faith. And I went on that and it was old videos. And then I realized, yeah, I can... I can tell my story, I can tell the Jesus story, I can invite other people and, and even engage with one or two of the questions. And suddenly, rather than being on the back foot and thinking I was rubbish at this, I'd actually been equipped. And very often in churches, we tell people that they should share their faith, etc. We just don't really help them to know how to do so. So uh, this kind of training that um, we're doing really helps people to be able to, as you said, feel feel more equipped so in the different ways in which we do I mean, one of the things that when i was when we're doing this we're actually using things like social media we need well effectively like youtube videos on knowing growing going for instance you click on that and it's a youtube one of the reasons that i put that is because very often in fact i had re somebody recently i did a, a talk here about the importance of reading the bible and i had somebody come up to me and remind somebody that quite a lot of people these days don't read can't read even and, uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's all kinds of people for various reasons that might be true of. Um, but also, you know, we've got people, you know, from different sort of educational backgrounds, social or economic backgrounds, etc. Um, and much of what we do potentially, it's just, it's just to get, make the point effectively that some of what we do, even at church, if you were to invite somebody, there could be all kinds of barriers around um, what church means to them and whether or not, they sort of feel like they'd fit in, etc. So how does something like Eden, which you're kind of involved with, break down the walls and the barriers so that people can connect with church um, by your sort of being church to them? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe even tell us the story a little bit of how you and Sarah came to be involved with Eden um, as, as, as a missional movement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Eden's now been around... 25, 26 years. It's part of the Message Trust. Um, so it's, it's kind of born out of that that issue. Uh, there's a lot of young people coming to faith around South Manchester and Withenshaw um, through the Message's schools work. But there weren't many churches um, available to these young people and the ones that were weren't quite ready or prepared for uh, an invasion. Um and so there was there's a gap that was noticed and and the answer to that was to move into the community uh live alongside people and do that discipleship kind of stuff in homes and on the street and in schools um in a way that was with the people rather than trying to draw them to something that wasn't fit for purpose if that makes sense um and when I moved to Manchester, I was aware of these stories of bumping into people doing Eden and, and the message. Uh, and it made sense of some stuff that I'd, I'd learned and seen as a kid. Um, and I always thought that's probably something I'd end up doing, um, but never acted on it. Ended up doing teaching for a while. And when Sarah and I got together, we had this word that we'd zigzag throughout Africa until we found the community of our calling. So um, 
we did some amazing work with a charity called Dignity that's closely linked with Ivy out in, in Southern Africa. Learned a lot doing that uh, and ended up in Kenya with a, a Kenyan mission, thinking that was the community of our calling. Uh, and um, Again, amazing time, but God brought us back back to Manchester just at a time of the riots that were going off in in London and then spread up to Manchester. Uh, we moved in with you, with you and Zoe, um, and bumped into some kids who used to teach who are on the way into town to cause a ruckus. Uh, and I was like, ah, oh, I can't go back to teaching because it's that, that thing of like, the rabbi thing. You have these kids for an hour, two hours a week, and that's mm. it. Mm. Uh, so um, y- you and Andy had got together and wanted to form an Eden team, and it, everything came together. And God put a pin on the map and said, Mersey Bank, little estate where we are now. Mm. That's where we should go. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've answered your question. No, you have. <laughs> yeah, that's that's certainly how I remember it. And I seem to remember, yeah, we were at New White North and uh, I was standing with Andy Hawthorne at one side of a um, fire one evening while everybody was sitting around and having a chat and um, having a drink, etc. And I was talking to him about Eden and what the plans were. And I was saying that, you know, if we were going to do an Ivy Eden, I'd want it to be with really great leaders who were actually called by God and that the strength of it would be that, the, that it wasn't just sort of an imposition or somebody coming in to help out a bit with youth because some desperate church you know, didn't have a, much of an idea, but I'd want it to be, you know, really that the church would, would get behind the leaders and that they'd see them as their people and not just as some outsiders. And we were talking about that, and I said, and I remember pointing across the fire at you and Sarah and saying, like, you know, if, if, if a couple of people like Steve and Sarah would do that, then that would be, that would be it. You know, that's how we'd do it. And I'd not even spoken to you then. And then uh, then that night, my wife Zoe had a... No, it wasn't. A couple of nights later, my wife had a dream and while we're still at New Wine. And uh, she said to me, I had this amazing dream um, that Steve and Sarah, uh, small, they were like camping in a tent like they are here. But we all got around them and lifted up their tent and took it onto this sort of concrete place. And then we had these really big, strong iron like pitons that we hammered into the um, the ground around them and everybody stood around them to support them doing it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so um, that was when I thought we'd better have a conversation <laughs> about this. And, um, and, you know, over the years, you really have, you know, you've, mo- you've moved on to that estate, Mersey Bank, and you've, you've hammered in, you know, you've, and, you know, obviously we've done all we can to support, you but what's the work been like because I know it's been through various iterations I remember early on thinking again we just want to get lots of people to become Christians so I'd keep saying to you Steve do you want us to like uh, get the message bus on there and do you want us to do uh, put up um, in like a, a big marquee and invite everybody to come to that and do we do loads of evangelistic stuff that's just gonna tell them all about Jesus because I was like had that thing going on and you'd very nicely just say no, not really. I don't, I don't think that's the way we're going to do it. <laughs> so I'll be like, yeah, but don't you want us to, like, you know, get an elephant from the circus and, you know, write Jesus all over it and send it down the street and, you know, like, 
No, I don't. I don't think that's what. We're... <laughs> so, I mean, your approach was somewhat different. It was incarnational, <laughs> I suppose, rather than attractional. If you're going to use those two things, and yeah. you know, what does that kind of thing? What's the incarnational model look like? Well, I, I mean, it, it looks like living and being part of the community, and it's that simple, <laughs> not that easy. Um, and I think when we first arrived. Uh, those kids who used to teach who lived on the street who did double takes and was like, why, <laughs> why are you here? Uh, and I think people expect like projects, you know, things to happen and then disappear. But when you live there uh, and then over the years see kids who are in the same schools, their friends, you, relationships just go deeper and deeper and um, you become part of the community. Mm. And we can't imagine living anywhere else. But I think, and Eden's, change it's changing as a network uh we used to be all about relocating people and sending them uh, and now we've seen uh, as well as that a lot of people coming up within the community who are far better at reaching people and speaking language than i am but i think especially at the beginning because we were fresh to our estate no one knew us um we spent time listening to people and getting involved with what was already happening rather than going in all guns blazing um and that that built trust and then naturally opened doors to some some big exciting things and and lots of little small everyday stuff as well yeah it's interesting isn't it that kind of not just thinking about the flash in the pan things of stuff that and people kind of get used to projects i suppose governments and local governments even can be big on delivering something that seems like it's great but it's it, you know it grabs a a local headline or whatever but people can get used to it and just be oh yeah here's something else but there is something i mean again the incarnational aspects like the message version of john one when it talks about you know it says jesus um you know, moved into the neighborhood mm. um he, you know the word became flesh and that's really what this this looks like when you in the neighborhood then um who are you connecting with? What's the, you know, people that are already there who are Christians as well as people who are not? Do you start to, you know, meet together with others? Um, you know, what, how does that work? Yeah, like when we first started, a lot of our friends, our peers were very excited. We were like, oh, we'll, we'll come join you. Mm. So we could we imagine this neighbourhood with, you know, people we, we loved on each corner and it's going to be really exciting. And then one by one, None of them could do it or dropped out for various reasons or excuses, uh, which was the best thing to have happened because that would have been a disaster mm. looking back. Um, and then, but also I had the faith that God would provide team because mm. we try to do this kind of stuff just by ourselves and it doesn't work. You need to go with others. Uh, and we had um, Christians who've been praying on the estate. Joyce, who's an elder here. Yep. And Nanny didn't know each other. But um, you have the message and thought this was the place where we could do with an Eden team. Mm. Uh, and never intended to join, but they were the first two people to join our team. And then right. other people moved from around the country. Um, so we were, we were an eclectic mix, but yeah. we became family really for, to each other. Yeah, and all these people, and many of them have, have also connected with Ivy as the church as well. So we want, I mean, that picture of us wanting to be not just, oh, you're over there, we'll leave you to it, but to try as best we can to maintain that strong relationship. Whether or not people from Mersey Bank would come to the services we were doing, we wanted to 
you know find ways to help to connect them to Jesus whether or not that happened and so at times you've you've you were meeting in in the uh, like library um, in there mm-hmm. and having services for a while, um, but then then you didn't, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then there's been the Eden, the Den Cafe, um, which if you look if you look at the wording on the sign, you'd see it's basically the the Eden Cafe, which uh, you know a bit sneaky there. <laughs> Can't take credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, the, the, what kind of, they're, they're, you know, some of the projects that have come out of it. Um, but also, I, I remember the day when the Eden Cafe officially opened there and and there was, you know, there was the message people there and a big crowd gathered. And, you know, one of the things I'll never forget is a lady called Jenny who jumped up and grabbed the microphone and started saying, this thing is amazing. These people are amazing. We should all get behind it. Isn't it brilliant what they're doing? And uh, and I turned to you and said, "Who's that?" Then, in you know, thinking that she must be part of the team, and uh, you were like, well, "I don't know, <laughs> just a neighbour." Uh, been yeah. avoiding herself until that point. She'd been avoiding <laughs> you, yeah. And then, uh, but she was at our at our um, staff meal the other night because mm-hmm. <laughs> Jenny now works in one in another one of our cafes and actually helps lead services and has become a Christian. Is fully involved, so she's gone from being a bit of a fan of the Eden thing at a distance to actually now, you know, full on her and her family loving the Lord. It's just, just fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I know you've had hard times too. Yeah. 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 It's not easy. There's, yeah. um, big ups and big downs. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of the, which you won't even go into the detail of, but I remember you telling me about people having fights out in the streets and stuff like this. That's yeah. It's tough in a city ministry effectively. Hmm. Yeah, 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 and you you get sucked into all kinds of things because you're there, and um, but it's a it's a joy and a privilege, and I, I, yeah, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Mm. I feel it feels like our, our faith is alive and active, and constantly opportunity to to share it and put it to use. Mm. To me, it's one of those things. It's a you know the the it shows a shift in the missional mindset in that you still had you had this sense of the call and thought uh, maybe in a traditional kind of missional missionary mindset oh, well we might go to africa then and going doing something in you know in rural villages etc and bringing the gospel there in in a way that dignity does and does brilliantly um but actually to come back and be missionaries where we are is you know i mean apart from anything else and uh, you know we're in very multi national city as well and mm-hmm. multi-ethnic etc so how do you see people these days whether or not they go and join an eden how, how how can we be as christians more just missional and live on mission and you know part of your role here is to encourage us to be see ourselves as deployed for jesus wherever mm. we are what's that what's that kind of look like how, do, how can people do that better yeah i think when i started that role here it was it was a hard transition because i was letting go of some of the the leading the the team on our estate and things were changing, um, and but God gave me a picture of a swimming pool and said, "Your job now is a swimming pool represented mission is to help people either stick the toe in the water or or getting doing lengths and improving their their stroke." Um, but I think it's 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 just doing the basic simple things, looking at what the opportunities are in front of you, where the need. And sometimes I'm now working four days a week. We've got three small children, and 
where we live is where we live. It, mm. We don't really see it quite as we did when we first moved in. So the, I quite often miss the opportunities. In that, and I've, some, if I've had a tough week and I've not connected with people, I'm like, God, you know, we're still here. We still want to be serving you and reaching our neighbours and, and loving people. But mm. I just need more opportunity. And then someone will knock on the door. Uh, and sometimes I'll be like, oh, here it is. Or <laughs> we'll have a chat, I close the door, and they're like, oh, no, that was it, <laughs> come back. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's mm. life just constantly brings things to the, yeah. to the fore where Jesus has something to say about it. And yeah, I was I was talking, uh, the other day I just sat, Zoe was watching Made in Chelsea, which uh, was my excuse not to watch the telly and <laughs> sit and listen to some uh, stuff on podcasts of myself. But I also started to li- I listened through to some old voice me- memos I've made over the years, different things, and people have prayed or said. And then I was listening to one by a guy who might be well known to people, especially in the US more than in the UK, might be listening, uh, a guy called Hugh Halter, who is um, really well known you know, for the kind of incarnational... Um, gospel stuff and you know he's a big friend of Alan Hirsch and others and I, I met him um, 18 months ago or something and had a really good chat with him and recorded the things he was saying but you know just again to help us to think about sharing our faith and we obviously we have these tools knowing growing going and all those kind of things but I, I was asking him about how you know what's important for them in what they do and for instance he runs he runs a coffee shop and um, you know I imagine it's fairly cool and um, you know probably has like a tattoo area or something in the corner that they do. It's that kind of a, you know, place. But he was saying, um, I said, well, how do you train people to, you know, because he was talking about having missionaries effectively. And he didn't talk about the volunteers in the cafe. They're like all missionaries for the people there. And I said, well, what do you know? How do you train them? And I thought he was going to tell me about some kind of resources that they had. But he said, oh, well, first thing we do, he says, we teach them, make eye contact with people. And, uh, and like, so they know that you're really listening to them. And then the next thing is, like, really listen to them. <laughs> and, uh, and like, it says, and things like, ask them, like, so what's your story? And just, a, like, an open question of some kind of, you know, what's going on in your life or something like that. And then listen to that until they're done talking. And then uh, maybe that's it. That's all you do that time. Mm. He says, and then he, but this is, there's other people that he'll go in the cafe and maybe after one or two, two contacts, he'll say to them, you know, you seem to be coming here quite a lot and, and hanging around and everything and, and you know, um, do you want me to tell you the story of this place and what's going on? And and in these different ways, it's that. I mean, we don't need to earn the right to tell the gospel because actually Jesus already did that 2,000 years ago, but maybe we get to earn the right to to share our own story and that comes from not just being about ourselves but but listening to the other. And, again, these the way in which I think you've been doing that over time, the longevity of... of of, mm. of this Eden, you know, makes a, a big difference. And now, so now tell us about the uh, the growth of, of Eden um, because yourself and Sarah, you know, are involved in helping to lead it nationally. The other night I was privileged to speak to a, a group of your guys who were up in the north and encourage them as best I could with the brilliant work they're doing around the north of England. But where where is Eden happening and what's happening now? What's the new kind of iteration? I remember, I remember the phrase used to be, people go to New Wine or something here, Andy Hawthorne jump up, and the challenge was like, will you be downwardly mobile? Will you leave your you know, nice, comfortable, middle-class place and come and, you know, 
put yourself into one of these estates because that was when it first started. But as you were saying, now it seems to be that there's more of an emphasis on empowering people where they're at rather than importing people from outside. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I think we're still definitely doing both. Mm. I think it's good for um, especially middle-class people like myself um, to be out of their comfort zone and not in the sleepy suburbs being comfortable um so yeah we're still encouraging people to think about living their life very differently um but at the same time we are seeing we call them uh, relocators remainers and returners so remainers and returners people who've grown up in the community who Mm. um have got a passion for jesus and and their neighbors um so yeah we are we're seeing more of that um and uh, I, th- I think back in the day, we were possibly one of the only organisations, networks, bunch of people doing that kind of thing. And now lots of people are seeming to be getting involved, which is amazing. That's what we want to see. Um, but it's it's harder to find people to join teams. And it takes a long time for people to move house and all that kind of stuff. So um, looking at it differently, we want to be... Um, growing quicker because there's so many uh, estates that are especially in the last couple of years where churches are declining or closing um, mm-hmm. um, historically churches seem to do well in the suburbs and the affluent areas and the places where we're trying to reach are neglected uh, but need Jesus and church as much as anyone else if not more uh, um, yeah so we've kind of had a a slower period shall we say where we've just re-envisioned you know why are we here what's God talking to us about and it feels like we're just on the cusp of pushing out again we've got teams starting overseas as well and um, I think especially this new generation want to have an active faith where um, it's authentic it's real Mm. they're on mission they're doing something they're making their lives count and I feel like Eden can help with that in different ways yeah yeah it's that challenge of um you know giving your life to something beyond yourself etc which um again we could think that young people would be less up for these days but actually i do think that that you know once somebody gets fully fired up for jesus and they can you know reorder their lives around that and uh, then you know eden presents an amazing opportunity to to kind of go into that and uh, yeah, it's it, you know, and the, as long as you people go in with their eyes open and as to what it is that they're doing, and not yeah. some idealized picture, because you know reality bites in it these does. places. Yeah. Um. What? So what's the? What would be the? You know, if somebody was like you were saying that there was a point even before when you first came to Manchester, you heard about Eden, and you kind mm. of thought, oh, well, you know, I'll, I might do that one day. Uh, maybe there's somebody listening to this now who's who's you know, God's maybe tapping them a little bit on the shoulder and they're, um, you know, re- reorganising. I think things like COVID, uh, so many people's jobs changing, so many people's priorities being reordered and people thinking, well, what's really most, what matters most to me? If somebody was looking to test whether or not uh, something this would be like for them, what, you know, is there like um, 
help available for somebody to work through that with you? What would be the, the sort of commitment? Because obviously you don't want people to just come in and, and give it a go. You know, it's got to be somebody who, who... So what's the process and what's the commitment from somebody who, who might want to find out about Eden? Hmm. Sure. So I, um, it is a process and I feel a call is important. Um, so we help people discern call to pray. Um, we've got a little pack we send out to people so they can... We've got a little prayer journal in. They can uh, think through the different aspects of what it might look like to to live out their faith in, mm. in an Eden-type community. Um, we have teams around the country that peop- we encourage people go and spend a day or, or a week or, you know, some time with them just so you, you see what is going on. And every team is different because it's shaped by a team, church, community. Mm. Uh, and it changes over the years. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of ways of, um, discerning that call and working out what, what God's saying to you. Um, and we've got loads of videos and testimonies of, mm. of hopefully the good stuff, but also some of the, this is stuff and yeah. Yeah. And there's been these things, I know from talking to Andy, whereby, you know, sociologically, you can kind of feel like, oh, you know, I mean, there is that thing people always talk about, oh, I made a difference to this one and throwing the starfish back in them and all that kind of thing. But the, uh, which is lovely and a nice story, but it's true, or probably, <laughs> especially if you're a starfish, you want somebody to throw <laughs> you one. back in the water, <laughs> you know. But if, um, you know, the, the, this is making a difference you know, in terms of social outcomes, because, mm. you know, you go into places where you have the the highest sort of indices of, of uh, poverty. So you're not just sort of cherry picking places and kind of going, oh, well, that's a bit tough because they've only got one paper shop or something. It's like you're, you're kind of actually, you know, you're looking at, at the toughest places. Um, and yet there have been, you know, it's been noted that Eden teams make a difference in these places, mm. hasn't it? Yeah. I think one the key thing is longevity and consistency. So mm. that so when when you've got uh, high unemployment, poverty, uh, all the things that come with that, and it just feels like it's biting more and more, especially at the moment, uh, it's it's hard to live a consistent life because you um, it's it's stressful mm. trying to find money to survive and um, keep your family together. Uh, so if if you're showing Jesus consistently through the ups and the downs and you're there for people, that's, that's huge. Mm. Yeah. All right. I'm going to put this out there because again, you'll kill me afterwards and you can edit it if you want to. But, um, the, you know, I know that there was a time a while ago when we were reviewing salaries here and I said to Steve, are we going to give you a rise? And he said, no, I, I actually don't want that because I need to, I want to live at the same income as the people that are around us on the estate. And, I think again that's a a different way of thinking than a lot of Christian ministries and if we'd had a bit more of that perhaps we would have had a lot less the downfall of um, various ministries where you can end up doing stuff for the money and you know chasing it that way and it can just be a real trap of the enemy so you don't have to comment on that but I'm just I'm saying that for anybody who's listening so uh, it's a great challenge for me as well because I said yes to the pay rise by the way <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Um, have you got uh, like a life verse? Have you got something that you think, um, you know, this is, I mean, we've got loads, but is the one that kind of comes to mind <laughs> that is like a guiding um, verse or, or principle or passage or something that, that's been really helpful to you um, in, in your journey that you'd kind of want to share with us? Uh, I think there's it's loads. The Bible helps <laughs> every point. 
the one that, has, as you said, that jumps into my mind is Hebrews 10, I want to say 23. Uh, Let us hold unsworth and lead to the uh, faith that we profess because he promises his faith. He's faithful. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Good stuff. Well, I always like to invite guests, if possible, to pray for us and for the listeners as um, as they as we wrap it up. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with uh, you, Eden, or about um, some of the resources we mentioned, knowing, growing, going, and discipleship pathway, etc. But by the way, discipleship pathway is available on right now media now, which is great thing to for encourage you to, to to look at and to join up with as is as johnny just released my new book uh well it's not it, the book came out a couple of years ago but the uh, study has just come out of the man you were made to be both published on uh, it's published on moody press the book on right now media the man you were made to be a series of uh discipleship studies for men so check those out but steve if people want to connect with you um what would be the best way of doing that uh, either via website joineden.org um, or you can just email me uh, steve.small at ivychurch.org or... yeah great and uh, yeah. just to say too we are plans are, are coming together for launch north and launch south again um, if you look go to launchcatalyst.org or even if you if you just email info at ivychurch.org make sure you're on our list we'll send you all the details of the dates and details of those we've got a guy called Pastor Dave Holden coming over who was, um, whenever Rick Warren um, couldn't go anywhere in the world, he'd send uh, Dave, who is a fantastically funny, brilliant, amazing Bible teacher, and he's going to be coming to launch. He was actually Saddleback's head of international training for many years, and he's just brilliant, so he's going to be coming. Uh, we're also talking to Jonathan Conrath and others and getting many people involved, we're hoping. Just these one-day events we're going to be doing throughout the year, um, potentially doing some in Scotland too. So if you want to keep track with that, uh, do drop us. Um, uh, in fact, if you go to emma.jeffery at launchcatalyst.org, she'll be able to keep you bang up to date and get you on our mailing list for that. Brilliant. Steve, could you just uh, pray us out, please, my friend? Sure. Um, my father, just uh, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he... He became flesh and blood and moved into our neighbourhoods and that you continue to transform each of us um, from the inside out as well as our communities um, and that you call us to be on mission with you uh, wherever we are. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us with that mission in the, in the big things, the small things, the day-to-day stuff. And we pray, I just pray for anyone listening to this now for opportunity to share you in one way or another that they'd recognise that and, and take hold of it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.